Father, we approach You this evening not by works done in righteousness by us. We approach You not by merit in ourselves. We approach You always, only, and ever because of the precious Savior who in our place stood condemned, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. Father, we thank You for Your perfect plan of salvation. Thank You that from all eternity You designed and then implemented in history Your perfect plan of redemption to rescue sinners like us. We thank You for Jesus above all things. We thank You that we are chosen and adopted by You because of what Jesus has accomplished in our place. We pray tonight as we come to Your Word that You would open our hearts and eyes to see, to behold, to know. Pray that You would teach us by Your Word tonight how valuable Your Word is to us. Father, thank You for Your Word. All that it means in our lives and in our churches. Thank You for the men who bled and died to see Your Word translated in our heart language. So I pray tonight that You would help me to communicate something of its sufficiency. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to begin tonight by reading from Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And as I read this passage, I want you to notice how David describes the law of God. On the screen, I've underlined the characteristics in verses 7, 8, and 9. Notice what the psalmist says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great Reward. So because God's word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true, notice how the psalmist responds to those things in verses 10 and 11. He cherishes God's word more than fine gold and sweet honey. So this is what we heard from Psalm 119 last night in Dan's excellent message. It is because of how valuable God's Word is that we should treat it as the most treasured of all possessions. It is because of what God's Word is and does for us, reveals God to us, that we should 
value it as more precious than gold. What I want to do tonight is to lift up one particular characteristic of God's Word in hopes that it will increase our ability to cherish God's Word. I want to lay a foundation tonight. I want to lay a foundation and I want to build some categories in our minds that I hope will help us cherish God's Word, not just for a few evenings, but for the rest of our lives. I want us to see that the Scripture is sufficient. We should desire God's Word as more than fine gold, as better than and more valuable than fine gold, because God's Word is totally sufficient. The sufficiency of Scripture is an incredibly practical doctrine that I believe is fading out of style in this generation. You see, many evangelical churches and Christians affirm that the Bible is the authoritative Word of God. They treat it with great importance, even reverence it. But at the same time, they essentially undermine its sufficiency by looking outside of the Bible for strategies to grow their church or solutions to fix their problems. Though they believe the Bible is inerrant and infallible, they see the Bible as inadequate for guiding us in this modern era. They see the Bible as an ancient book that can't be sufficient for the 21st century Christian or church. Have you ever struggled with these questions? Is the Bible really necessary for living a life pleasing to God? Is the Bible sufficient to answer the questions that you and I have about God and His plan for our life? Is the Bible just a guide to starting a relationship with God, but an outdated guide to progressing in that same relationship? Is the Bible sufficient for your everyday struggles with depression, and marriage, parenting, and finances? My assumption this evening, and I know it's a big one, is that we all affirm the authority of the Bible as God's Word probably wouldn't be here on a Monday night at this conference if you didn't affirm that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. We believe it is inerrant and infallible and trustworthy. But let me ask you this question. Is the Bible sufficient in every matter that it addresses? Is the Bible enough or do we need to search for some other source to supplement it or to complete it? This is not a new question in history. Some of you may remember that the sufficiency of Scripture was the foundational issue for the Reformers in the 16th century. It's not an overstatement to say that the gospel truth of justification by faith alone in Christ alone was preserved on the basis of the sufficiency of Scripture. The Catholic Church taught that Scripture by itself is insufficient as an authority for the people of God. And that the tradition of the church and the teaching of the church officers and councils should be added to the Scripture to make it complete. The Catholic Church still teaches that the Bible alone is not sufficient, but must be supplemented by the traditions of the church. And so one of the battle cries of the Protestant Reformation was sola scriptura, Scripture alone. The Reformers lived and died clinging to the truth that the Scripture is the only true authority and is sufficient to teach us the Gospel and how to live pleasing to God. 
We face that same battle today. Even in evangelical churches, sola scriptura is being undermined by those seeking to supplement the scripture with the latest church growth technique or modern evangelistic methodology. You see, today, the clear teaching of the Bible is being replaced by whatever works to get people attending and giving. And so here's my burden for us tonight. We need a fresh reformation in the church today. And just like the 16th century, I believe that the first step toward that reformation needs to be the embracing of the sufficiency of Scripture. We need a renewed conviction that the Bible is sufficient for knowing God well. Don't you you want that conviction? Don't you want that foundational conviction in your life? Every person here tonight needs to be convinced that you can know God's heart, that you can know His character, and you can know how to please Him by faith. And friends, if we allow the sufficiency of Scripture to be compromised, the next thing that will be contaminated will be the Gospel of Jesus Christ itself. Because the sufficiency of the death of Jesus Christ is inseparably tied to the sufficiency of Scripture. If Scripture is not sufficient, how do we know that Christ and Christ alone is sufficient to commend us to God? Jerry Bridges has written, The sufficiency of Scripture is the foundation on which all other Christian doctrines stand. This truth must be continually affirmed and defended. And that's what I want to do tonight. I want to affirm and defend this essential doctrine in hopes that God would open our eyes to see the value and worth of His Word. So what do, what do we mean by the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, very simply, the sufficiency of Scripture means that the Bible contains everything we need regarding the truth it declares. And so when we say that the Scripture is sufficient, we don't mean that the Bible contains everything we want to know about everything. The Bible doesn't address everything in the universe. It was, it was not designed for that. That wasn't its intention. Its intention. It does not address every question that we have. We also don't mean by the sufficiency of Scripture that the Bible contains everything even useful to know. There are many other subjects useful to us that are not addressed in the Bible. When we say the Scripture is sufficient, we mean that nothing else is necessary for the life of faith. Let me repeat that again. The sufficiency of Scripture means that nothing else is necessary for the life of faith. Faith. We don't need any other source of instruction in order to know God and live for God in this world. The Bible doesn't need to be supplemented by any other source on the matters that it speaks authoritatively on. Here's how John Piper defined the sufficiency of Scripture. He said, The Scriptures are sufficient in the sense that they are the only inspired and therefore inerrant words of God that we need in order to know the way of salvation. And the way of obedience. John Frame defines it like this. Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. Notice that phrase there at the beginning. Scripture contains all the divine words needed for any aspect of human life. Wayne Grudem in his 
fantastic systematic theology says this. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God He intended for His people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying tonight. The sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that we don't need any other provisions from God in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the body of Christ, the church. We need the intercession of our great high priest. We need prayer. We need each other, etc., etc. But all that we need, including all those things that I just mentioned, flow from the sufficient truth of Scripture and never operate independently from Scripture. All faith springs from the Word of God and never from some other source. Romans 10.17 Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So, after that lengthy introduction, here's my attempt to define the sufficiency of Scripture. And I want to use this definition to serve as our, as our outline for the rest of this talk. So here's my attempt to get at what the sufficiency of Scripture means. And I want to show you where I get this from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here it is. The Bible contains... All we need to know, all we need for knowing God through the gospel, for living for the glory of God in every circumstance of life, and for nourishing, sustaining, and growing the church. So I want to take each of these three parts and show you from 2 Timothy 3 where I get these, the Bible, where I get these things. The Bible contains all we need for knowing God through the gospel, for living for the glory of God in every circumstance of life, and for nourishing, sustaining, and growing the church. And so, let's walk through this definition. And then I want to conclude with some implications for how this doctrine should make a difference in our everyday lives. Now, one more disclaimer. There is no way I can say everything that needs to be said about this doctrine. There are many nuances and clarifications and questions that I just don't have time to get to tonight. My goal is not to exhaust this subject. I could not do that even if I tried. A whole conference would be, not be enough for that task. My goal is simply to expose us to the importance of this doctrine in hopes that it would enable us to see that the Scripture is indeed more precious than gold. So look at 2 Timothy 3 if you have a copy of Scripture. I want you to see this, each part of this definition in these last words of the Apostle Paul to his young protege Timothy. So number one, let's look at this. Bible is sufficient for knowing God through the gospel. The Bible is sufficient for knowing God through the gospel. This is the most important aspect of the sufficiency of Scripture that I want to highlight tonight. There is nothing outside of the Bible that we need to know to know God. That is my main point. There is nothing outside of the Bible that we need to know to know God. Notice what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. So the question of these verses is this. 
what are these sacred writings that Timothy has learned and believed and been acquainted with since his childhood? This question is of vital importance because Paul says that these sacred writings are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. What is able to make us wise for salvation in Christ? Well, there's no doubt that these sacred writings are a reference to the Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, verse 16 elaborates on the power of these sacred writings and Paul actually calls them Scripture. Now, for Paul, the Scripture was what we know as the Old Testament. But now we have the New Testament which fulfills and interprets the Old Testament. And so for us, the sacred writings are the complete and full and finished revelation of God in the 66 books of our Bible. Justin Nail is going to talk to us about how we got these 66 books in just a little bit. And so verse 15 clearly teaches that the Scripture is sufficient for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This means that everything we need to trust in Jesus Christ is found in Scripture. There is no knowledge outside of Scripture that we have to have in order to have our sins forgiven and have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Everything God wants us to know about a relationship with Him is found in Scripture. This is the supreme value of the Word of God. It is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey because through it we are able to know God. God has revealed Himself to us in the pages of Scripture in order that we could know Him and trust Him. Now, this does not mean that the Bible contains everything there is to know about God. God is infinite. He is brighter than we can behold. His glory is brighter than we can imagine. He is as vast, more vast than the universe. But this does mean that the Bible contains everything God says we need to know about Him in order to be able to trust Him and worship Him as He desires. What God has revealed about Himself is sufficient for us to know Him. We don't have to go searching for some hidden secret about God to really know God. Everything God wants us to know about Him is found in the Bible. So how kind of God. How kind of God to give us a sufficient Bible. What if the Bible was not sufficient to know God? Can you imagine that world? What if, what if God had made knowing Him like a, like a cosmic scavenger hunt game? Where you were never really fully sure that you had all the clues. I mean, what if we had to search through everything ever written throughout history in order to find out what people had taught about God and then thus gather it all up and say what we think about God? You see, in giving us a sufficient Bible, God has given us Himself. He has said, this is who I am. He has said, this is what I love. He has said, this is what it means to know me and to have a relationship with me through my Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself taught this truth at the end of Luke chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. It's a story that's familiar to us all. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. What happened was this rich man died and went to hell. And Lazarus died and went to Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. And when the rich man saw Lazarus, 
He begged Abraham for some, for some relief from this suffering and agony. He wanted just the tip of someone's finger to be dipped in water and placed on his tongue. He was in such agony. But alas, his destiny was sealed and no one could be sent to him to relieve him even a little bit. And so he had one more request. He requested that someone be sent to his family in order to warn them of the dangers of unbelief. He wanted someone to go from the dead, from the afterlife, to warn his family that if they persisted in unbelief, they too would be in this agony. And here's how Jesus concluded the story. Jesus said, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You see the point? The rich man and his family had the scripture. They had Moses and the prophets and the scriptures are sufficient for them to repent and believe. They don't need someone to come from the dead to warn them. They have the Scriptures. They have everything they need. In other words, Jesus says the Scriptures are more clear and compelling than the testimony of someone who has returned from the dead. If we have the Bible, we have the Gospel. We have the good news of salvation in Christ. The Bible teaches us everything we need to know to know God through the work of of the Savior. The second part of the definition is this. The Bible is sufficient for living for the glory of God in every circumstance of life. So the Bible not only tells us everything we need to know about God, it also tells us everything we need to know about living a life pleasing to God. You see, in the Bible, God reveals who He is and He reveals what He expects from His creatures. There is nothing outside the Bible that is essential for us to know in order to live a life that glorifies God. Second Peter chapter one says that God has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. So notice second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. This is what Paul says to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So Paul says the Scripture is sufficient to make us competent, and then he defines what, what it means to be competent. To be competent means to be equipped for every good work. The Bible doesn't just equip us for some good works. The Bible equips us, notice, for every good work. In other words, there is no good work that God requires or desires from you that the Scripture does not address. Everything for which we will be held accountable is found in the Scripture. This is absolutely revolutionary to me. The Bible is sufficient for the life of every believer in every generation and in every location on this planet. There are not different standards for different cultures. There are not different commands for different generations. The Bible is as relevant to our pursuit to living for the glory of God as it was for the first century Christians. 
Now, someone could possibly object to this point at this, at this time and say, but hold on a second, Justin. The Bible doesn't tell us what to do in every circumstance of life. I mean, sometimes we need things other than the Bible to help us, don't we? I mean, for example, the Bible doesn't tell us how to change a flat tire. The Bible doesn't tell us how to be a good dentist. And anyone claiming that the Bible gives us detailed instructions for every possible situation is, is silly. The Bible doesn't give us every single situation in life. So no one is claiming that the Bible gives us that kind of detailed instruction for every possible situation we find ourselves in. That's not the Bible's goal. The point is that the Bible gives us clear instructions that apply to every circumstance of life. Even changing a flat tire or being a good dentist. You see, the Bible tells us with what attitude we should change that flat tire for the glory of God, to bring glory and honor to God. And the Bible tells a dentist how to work with integrity, how to view and use his income, how to treat his patients so that God is glorified in his labor. Every good work means every good work. The Bible is as sufficient for a dentist or a plumber or a police officer as it is for a pastor or a theologian. God has given us His sufficient Word to provide what we need so that we can live a life pleasing to Him without excuse. Psalm 119.1 Dan covered a, a few verses from Psalm 119 and since he didn't cover them all, I thought I would, I would throw in one. The very first verse of Psalm 119 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And so notice how the psalmist equates blamelessness with walking in the law of the Lord. Those who are blameless are those who obey God's word. So to do what the Bible commands, according to Psalm 119.1, is to be blameless in God's sight. And so to be blameless in God's sight, here's the question. What must we do in addition to what the Bible commands? This is a good question. What must we do to please and honor God, to be blameless in His sight, that the Scripture does not address? And the answer is nothing. The Scripture is sufficient to teach us how to glorify God in every circumstance of our lives. Now, of course, who among us has perfectly walked in obedience to God's Word? Who of us can say Psalm 119.1 describes us? None of us. Which is why we need the blameless Savior to rescue us from the wrath of God that we deserve to experience. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, none of us can glorify God in any circumstance of our lives. But united to Jesus by faith in Him, the Scripture is sufficient to equip us for every good work that we've been called to do. Well, finally, number three, the Bible is sufficient for nourishing sustaining and growing the church. The Bible is sufficient for nourishing, sustaining, and growing the church. Now, this final part of my definition is actually a subset of the second part. The Bible's sufficiency for the life of the church is actually part of its sufficiency to equip us for every good work. But I wanted to highlight this particular aspect because I believe this is where the sufficiency of Scripture is most often undermined in our day. 
You see, as a pastor, I'm bombarded with the message that the Word of God is not enough to nourish and sustain and grow the church that I lead. I'm told that I need the latest technique or program or curriculum if I really want to see fruit in my ministry. I'm told that I need to do less preaching and tell more stories. I'm told that I need to focus on giving people an upbeat experience rather than leading them to encounter the greatness of God. I'm told that reading the Bible and singing the Bible and preaching the Bible and praying the Bible will not hold the attention of this image-driven generation. I'm told that what I really need is more props, more movie clips, and more skits. Isn't this a temptation for all of us? We're all bombarded, are we not, with the subtle message that we need something other than the Bible to really be spiritual people. We need to attend the next conference. We need to read the best-selling book. We need to get that newest worship CD. We need to check out what that church down the road is doing. And you see, without knowing it, we began to look to some other source to nourish us and strengthen us. Now, please don't get me wrong here. Could some of these things that I've mentioned be helpful in the life of the church and teaching the Scripture to us? Of course. I'm not questioning the motive of anyone who advocates these things. But what I sense is a subtle shift away from a rock-solid confidence in the sufficiency of the Word of God. Is the Bible enough for every generation and in every church, in every culture, to nourish us in the faith? Is the Bible enough for every church of Jesus Christ to accomplish its mission to make disciples of all nations? Well, notice Paul's counsel to young Timothy at the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. Notice this counsel. This is, this is prophetic. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Notice verse 3. Why should Timothy give himself to preaching the Word in season and out of season? It is because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll do what? Verse 4. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Why will they do that? Because they don't believe the Scripture is sufficient. Verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So how is Timothy to fulfill his ministry at the church in Ephesus? Is he to survey the residents of the town to find out what they want to hear? Is he to build fancy buildings that people want to come drink coffee in? No, Timothy is to preach the Word. The God-breathed Scripture that is sufficient to equip us for every good work. This is God's strategy for church growth. God's strategy for church growth centers on the people of God being nourished and sustained by the sufficient Word of God. I wish we could all spend about a month in the underground church in places like India and China. They don't have elaborate buildings. They don't have any programs at all. They don't have rocking youth ministries. 
They gather under the cover of darkness and homes. They open the scripture and God is blessing them beyond what we could even imagine. Because the scripture is sufficient for the life of the church. It tells us everything we need to know about organizing and leading and serving and sustaining the local church. If we neglect the Scripture, church, we neglect the only divine source of guidance we have. If we neglect the Scripture, we neglect the very Holy Spirit of God who is given to us to lead us into all truth. If we neglect the Scripture, we neglect the head of the church, Jesus Christ. For it is through the Scripture that Jesus exercises His Lordship over His church. So the Bible is all we need for knowing God, for living for the glory of God, and for sustaining the church of God. So let me close with some practical implications from the sufficiency of Scripture. What does this truth demand from us? How does this truth apply in our lives? Six truths just very quickly I want to run through. Number one, the sufficiency of Scripture demands that we value the Scripture as precious beyond measure. If the Bible is sufficient in the way that I try to affirm and defend tonight, then the primary response of all of us here tonight should be to value, should be to treasure the Scripture as more precious than gold. Because the Bible is perfect and complete, it should be sweeter than honey to our taste. And so let us read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible, meditate on the Bible, and hear the Bible proclaimed. Let's position ourselves, friends, to benefit abundantly from the Bible. It is more precious than any possession we have. So let us treat it as such. Secondly, the sufficiency of Scripture demands that we not elevate our traditions and preferences to the level of Scripture. Demands that we not elevate our traditions and our preferences to the level of Scripture. So the Bible repeatedly warns us not to add anything to it. If we had time, we would walk through four, five, six texts about not adding to or taking away from Scripture. And so to elevate anything outside of the Bible to the level of the Bible is to undermine the Bible's sufficiency. Our Savior had strong rebukes for the religious people in His day and time who were elevating their traditions as more important than Scripture. Mark 7, Jesus confronts a group of religious leaders who were insisting on a practice that was not found in Scripture. And He told them that they were rejecting the Word of God. He told them that they were nullifying the Word of God by elevating their preferences and their traditions. And so friends, let's not be guilty of making up lists of things we can do and not do to be good Christians. There are enough sins to be avoided listed in Scripture that we don't have to go around making up our own. Number three, the sufficiency of Scripture demands that we not neglect anything in Scripture. Demands that we not neglect anything in Scripture. So we must not add to Scripture, but we also must not take away from Scripture. Everything in Scripture is necessary and helpful. And so let us not ignore or neglect portions of Scripture that we don't particularly like. And let us not conveniently ignore commands and warnings in Scripture that we don't want to apply to our lives. It is never okay 
to assume that a particular command does not apply to us. Number four, the sufficiency of Scripture demands that we test everything by the truth of Scripture. Demands that we test everything by the truth of Scripture. The Scripture is the standard by which we judge every other thing. If anything contradicts the Word of God, we may be sure that it is not of God. Fifth, the sufficiency of Scripture demands that we be content with the content of Scripture. It demands that we be thankful for the substance of Scripture. So let us not find ourselves sinfully ungrateful because we wish that God had included something that He did not. The Scripture is sufficient. God did not make mistakes in what He included or did not include. And so let us be grateful for the completeness of Scripture. We don't need to go searching for some other source to fill in the gaps. There are no gaps in God's Word. Sixth and finally, the Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, demands that we labor to bring it to every people group on the planet. The sufficiency of Scripture demands that we labor to bring it to every people group on the planet. If the Bible is sufficient for all we need to know God and to live pleasing to God, then we must labor to translate it into the heart language of every people group in the world. Wycliffe Bible translators estimate that there are over 2,000 languages in the world today with no Scripture at all. Thousands more only have portions of the Bible. There are hundreds of millions of people tonight who have absolutely no opportunity to read and study and hear God's Word proclaimed, even if they wanted to. And the Scripture is as sufficient for them as it is for us. So how can we obey the Great Commission and teach the nations everything that Jesus has commanded us if those people don't have access to what Jesus commanded us? And thus, let us give ourselves to making disciples of all nations through Bible translation. Let me close with a few simple questions for you tonight. Do you believe that the Bible is sufficient to truly know God to equip you for every good work that you've been called to do and to nourish and build your local church? If so, if you believe that, if you're with me tonight to want to affirm and defend this important doctrine, if that is true, does your life bear witness to the Bible's sufficiency? Do you cherish God's Word more than you cherish all the riches of this world? Is the Bible more precious than gold. Let's pray. Father, again, thank You for Your Word. It is a priceless treasure that is sufficient for us. We pray that You would help us to cherish it. To cherish all of Your good gifts that Your Scripture tells us that You've given us. All of the good gifts that You've given us. We learn about in the Scripture. Thank You. We thank You most of all for the fact that the Scripture bears witness that we are great sinners in need of a great Savior. We thank You for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray You would help us to love Him, to treasure Him above all. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Please take a, a five